Father in heaven, we thank you for the opportunity to open our minds and hearts to your word and your will. And we thank you that you are preparing a generation to meet you without seeing death. And as we uh, go over uh, science and inspiration in regards to how we can uh, best uh, perform even everyday types of activities in accordance with your will, we pray that you will guide us and you will convict us where we need to change to become more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. Titled this, Reaching Top Spiritual Performance. Uh, and of course, that does have to do with physical and mental as well. It's very clear that in order to have a spiritual performance, uh, you have to have an intact frontal lobe, and the frontal lobe has a lot to do with uh, the physical as well as the way we use our minds. Revelation 22, the last chapter in the Bible says, they shall see his face and his name shall be where? In their, in their foreheads. And uh, why in the forehead? Science first began to understand the importance of the frontal lobe of the brain as a result of Phineas Gage. He was a foreman of a railroad crew. He's a faithful husband and father was well-liked by his fellow workers. He was a religious man. He regularly attended church. In fact, he taught his weekly Sunday school class. Then came that fateful day of September 13, 1848. Kissed his wife and children goodbye, and he said, I'll be home for supper tonight. But he didn't come home for supper that night, and it had to do with his job. He was blasting away mountains in Vermont. Uh, for those of you who have been to Vermont, you recognize that Vermont is filled with mountains. And of course, they not only had to make bridges, but they had to blast away portions of the mountain. What they would do is drill a long hole into the rock. They would fill it partially with explosive powder. They would cover the powder with sand, and then they would consolidate the charge by using a tamping bar to pound down on the sand. And then they would light a fuse and get away from the scene as that portion of the mountain was blown away. This process was repeated multiple times that morning. We're not sure what exactly went wrong. Either Phineas, who, was, um, who had the tamping bar that morning, even though he was the foreman, he was out there working with his hands. Uh, and he was pounding down on that sand portion. We're not sure if the helper went to the wrong pile in the efficiency and filled up the entire hole with gunpowder, or whether Phineas was just too quick and thought that there was sand that had been piled in between, but really there hadn't. Uh, still not sure uh, with investigation, and those, there were those that investigated as, to, as far as what went wrong, but one of those two things likely did. And the tamping bar, when it was pounded down on the ground, became a missile. And uh, that uh, fuse was never lit as, uh, uh, because of the explosion that occurred right at the tamping bar site. The tamping bar, as mentioned, became a missile going through the eye of Phineas Gage out the top of his head and landing some 20 feet away from the scene. Amazingly, Phineas survived this accident. Uh, within minutes, he was walking around. He had to be... Uh, taken to a medical facility where the wound was, uh, where the bleeding was stopped, the wound was sewed up, 
uh, and uh, he of course had to spend time in a hospital. He did develop an infection, uh, but through natural means that infection was cured and within a few weeks Phineas Gage was back on the job again. Uh, the problem was Phineas Gage was no longer the Phineas Gage of before. Uh, this was a man who had always been faithful to his wife and children. Now any woman that appeared desirable to him, he would attempt to go after. This was a man who regularly attended church. Now he would ridicule those that attended church. In fact, he didn't want to have anything to do with religious things. Uh, he was a, uh, a man who his neurologist described as irascible, irresponsible, uh, and irreverent. Uh, he uh, ended up joining the circus. He lost his job as foreman of the railroad crew. He would lose his temper in an abrupt, short-lived manner uh, frequently. And uh, because he couldn't accomplish the advanced planning and thinking and because of his temper issues, he lost his job as foreman. They offered him a lower job, but he was too proud to accept that job. And so he ended up joining the circus. He became a circus act because of his shock appearance and he would carry the tamping bar around with him as part of the circus act and uh, he ended up in Chile and uh, I died there some 13 years later from unrelated causes and if you were to go to the Warren Anatomical Museum at Harvard University today you would see the skull of Phineas Gage. Harvard requested that his body be exhumed and brought back to America. You would see the tamping bar that was buried next to him and you would see the very detailed personality reports of what transpires when people uh, are functioning without a large portion of the frontal lobe of their brain. Uh, since then, secular neurology textbooks tell us the frontal lobe is the seat of spirituality, morality, and the will. Even secular neurology textbooks rec uh, recognize it as a spiritual part of the brain. And it's a part, really, that, uh, that worship occurs. I should mention in regards to this, that uh, if you have a frontal lobe, you worship. Uh, if you have, you know, an intact frontal lobe. The question is, who are you worshiping? What are you worshiping? Uh, and, you know, there's a reason why, well, we'll talk about that in a little bit, but let me get into some of the other aspects of the brain. The temporal lobe is where the memory is centered. Uh, it is... Uh, uh, also where a lot of musical um, abilities are. There's a reason why uh, the Lord wanted us to put good words to music and that is so that we can remember it easier. Uh, the temporal lobe is, the, uh, is an area of memory, a very important part of the brain. It's also where our, our speech is. Occipital lobe is where our vision is, but it's also where our uh, visual planning can occur, those with architectural abilities uh, and can uh, just be able to go into a, a, an area and figure out exactly what to do with that area and how to take out walls or put in uh, uh, certain things and have the flow go right and, and are just doing that even though they aren't necessarily uh, skilled in architecture. Those individuals are blessed with a good um, occipital lobe. Uh, good circulation. Parietal lobe is where our um, feelings, there are many uh, feelings and emotions there in the parietal lobe, but it's also an area where uh, mathematical ability is. Uh, Einstein had a little larger uh, parietal lobe, uh, and it's also where our speech recognition occurs, language recognition. Those who know multiple languages have had to have that parietal lobe developed. 
uh, as a result. Uh, the cerebellum is where the coordination is, and so that has a lot to do with athletic ability. Uh, and the area of the brain, however, that we're discussing today in regards to preparation for the end time is the frontal lobe of the brain, what many neurologists call the crown of the brain. It was to be the control center of the entire brain. Now, uh, other creatures have brains, and they also have frontal lobes. Cats have a very small brain, but the, uh, even though their brain is very small, only 3.5% of a cat's brain is in the frontal lobe. Not much morality in a cat if you've ever seen it torture its victims uh, to death and seemingly enjoy the process. Um, that's uh, due to that very low uh, frontal lobe size. Dogs have a little more frontal lobe. 7% of a dog's brain is in the frontal lobe. Uh, they uh, won't hesitate to murder uh, if they, quote, have to, but they don't torture their victims to death. They're much more empathetic in the way they go about it. Uh, and, uh, and they're also able to exhibit more empathy for the creatures that they do uh, enjoy and love, such as uh, human beings, etc. cetera. Uh, and uh, uh, as a result, they're also able to plan a little better. You can easily fool a cat into doing something that even it knows may not be best for it to do, uh, simply because of its lack of frontal lobability. Uh, dogs, uh, you can do that to some extent, but not as easily. And I just heard a story about a dog uh, yesterday, actually. Uh, I think it was National Public Radio had it, where a woman uh, in this hot weather, this just happened a couple of days ago, left her dog uh, in the driveway. Uh, it was a uh, lab she had just forgotten, and it was out there in the sun uh, midday, and of course it started to heat up, and uh, she had forgotten about it. But the dog had enough frontal lobe ability that when it really started to get hot and it recognized that its uh, life was in jeopardy, did you hear what it did? Anyone else hear the story? Uh, it went over to the horn and began to pound on the horn of the car. And she heard the horn, but she didn't, she was inside the house and she didn't think anything of it. There were other places, you know, other cars going by, et cetera. But when it continued and continued, she decided to go out there and see what was going on. And then she found her black lab. Uh, it was, it, its temperature had risen way up. It had to be taken to the vet and a lot of cold water pulled, poured on it. But the black lab lived because of its frontal lobe. I had to think about that uh, a little bit. Uh, Chimpanzees have the most of any other animal creature. 17% of the brain is in the frontal lobe. But what sets human beings apart from the rest of the um, animal kingdom is our frontal lobe size. 33 up to 38% of our brain is in the frontal lobe. And by the way, the evolutionists uh, don't have any explanation for this. Uh, you know, wh why is it that the apes that we came from don't have front, you know, there should be uh, uh, gradations where we gradually get up there. Uh, to the 33 to 38%, but uh, that's another um, significant hole in the evolutionary theory uh, that is often not talked about by them. Uh, effects of compromised frontal lobes are, uh, are significant, and uh, these are from scientific studies. When the frontal lobe is compromised, whether by accidents or by other things, uh, you will see an impairment of moral principle uh, occur. And in fact, if you want to, <laughs> 
to look at the decline of morals in, in society, uh, the answer to it really has to do with the decline in the function and activity of the frontal lobe of the brain. Social impairment will occur. It's natural to love your siblings, your, mo your mother, father, uh, children. If that natural love for family is gone, it's often due to a frontal lobe problem. Uh, lack of foresight, your ability to reason from cause to effect is a frontal lobe phenomena, but also your ability to uh, plan in, in the way distant future is a frontal lobe phenomenon. And you can actually follow your, your child's frontal lobe development by how long they are planning for the future. Uh, and, uh, you know, for instance, uh, my, uh, uh, you know, just a couple of years ago, I could tell my boy, Justin, that something was going to happen a few days in advance. He'd be excited about that. But then he would either have to keep asking if that day was there uh, it, it would seem to be a blur because his frontal lobe wasn't developed to be able to see very far in the distant future. Now uh, he knows he's going to be eight years of age. He's already planning for things in the next year, two years, et cetera. His frontal lobe is developing more. And hopefully his brain develops to the point where he's planning wisely for his career, uh, for his marriage partner. Those type of things require a lot of advanced uh, planning and thinking, and not just things that uh, that tantalize the senses for the here and now, uh, and uh, and of course that's going to be very much uh, a part of how happy he is and how successful he is throughout life. Abstract reasoning is impaired when the frontal lobe declines. In fact, I should mention. Do you know how long it takes the frontal lobe to be fully developed in human beings? Thirty. It's 30 years for the frontal lobe to be fully developed. And uh, this is something that is kind of an enigma because the late teenager has reached their adult size. Uh, but even though they look like adults, uh, they actually are not as far as the frontal lobe is concerned. Uh, and uh, I think it's one of the reasons why, well, I shouldn't just mention a story in regards to the abstract reasoning. Uh, I was speaking at a large high school, public high school in Texas, and you know these huge public high schools, they have um, security, policemen there, the whole bit, you know, because they can be dangerous uh, air, environments, even for the teacher uh, sometimes. And uh, this was career day that I was asked to uh, speak on. And uh, so they had me the entire high school, grades 9, 10, 11, and 12, usually they don't get together. Uh, all at once, but this huge uh, several thousand uh, public high school uh, students coming together. And so I was talking about uh, in career day how it was important for their frontal lobe uh, to be enhanced. And so I just gave them a, a, a little uh, test. I said, uh, just uh, see uh, who can get this. Uh, people that live in glass houses shouldn't throw stones. Uh, can anyone interpret that for me? And one boy in the front raised his hand right away and came up to the microphone and says, if you do that, you're going to break your house. And uh, I said, no, that's not what that means. I said, that's called concrete reasoning. Uh, but what does, the, uh, what does the proverb actually mean? And then someone else tried and said essentially the same thing, but a little different. Then someone else tried and still didn't get it. And finally, one kid in the back came up to the front and he says, what this means is if you don't want to be picked on, you better not pick on somebody else. 
Well, he, that was his high school vernacular, but it was the correct abstract interpretation. And I said correct, and the whole entire place broke out in thunderous applause for this boy uh, who had a little better frontal lobe than the rest of them. <laughs> and uh, uh, I then asked them a question, and I didn't know what kind of answer I was going to get from this group, but I said, how many of you think your parents would have been able to get that correctly? Do you think the majority or minority of hands went up? I was expecting, you know, a lot of these teenagers don't necessarily think a whole lot of the brains of their parents. And so I was thinking that it would be a minority. But actually, I would say it seemed like 95% of the hands went up in that high school. And I said, you know what? You're right. I think your parents would have been able to get it right. Because, and then I told them how it takes 30 years for the frontal lobe to, to develop. And I said, if you couldn't see that, there's a whole lot of other things in this life that are even uh, more no-brainers for your parents uh, that you don't see. And so at this point in time, because you are compromised, you really need to trust in the frontal lobe of your parents in regards to important decisions. And uh, it seemed to have its effect. They, they listened intently in regards to that. Mathematical understanding diminished. Now, I mentioned math is in the parietal lobe, but advanced forms of math, advanced algebra, um, calculus, et cetera, require the frontal lobe uh, function for that. Loss of empathy. Empathy is something that uh, there are some statements that some people make sometimes that actually are not completely true. They appear to be on the surface to be true. But one of the statements that I've heard frequently is, you cannot understand it unless you've been in their shoes. Did you know that's a false statement? It's false because it's ignoring empathy. Empathy is your ability to completely understand what the individual is going through, the effects, the emotions, etc., even though you haven't gone through it. And empathy is a frontal lobe function. You can't have it. That, that is true uh, for a lot of society that have impaired frontal lobes. Uh, there's no way that they could understand it unless they've gone through it. But for those that do have intact frontal lobes, it's very uh, uh, important to recognize that they can understand. And studies show that indeed they can if they have that uh, type of frontal lobe. Lack of restraint also occurs. Uh, when the frontal lobe is compromised. Uh, boasting, hostility, these type of things become commonplace. And uh, uh, you can often see that lack of restraint after the touchdown is scored on a Sunday afternoon uh, and the uh, effect of the compromised frontal lobes. Uh, there are diseases that result when the frontal lobe is significantly compromised. Mania or bipolar disorder is a problem primarily of the frontal lobe of the brain. There are other lobes involved as well, even OCD. Obsessive compulsive disorder is a frontal lobe problem. Obesity, one of, the, uh, one of the biggest reasons for obesity that's often overlooked is the highest control center uh, in the brain, and that is the frontal lobe. No matter how much desire you have for something, which is a lower brain function, that's the hunger and desire area of the brain. No matter how much desire you have for something, you can say no to that desire if your frontal lobe is fully intact. And so uh, uh, even the obesity epidemic is related to lack of frontal lobe uh, ability. Attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. 
uh, is a problem with frontal lobe development in children. It can, it can persist into adulthood. And even the common disease of major depression is a problem with the frontal lobe. In fact, uh, studies have uh, clearly indicated in the last 10, 15 years that one of the main characteristics of virtually all depressed individuals, no matter what the underlying cause, is a significant decrease in the frontal lobe's blood flow and activity. This is a PET scan of someone with depression. And this is where the, um, the eyes are at. So this would be the frontal lobe of the brain. Uh, here for the depressed individual. This is a person who is not depressed, but these are the exact brains. The difference is this was months later after this individual had recovered from depression. And so you can see the significant improvement in frontal lobe function. This is like a Doppler weather radar here. The, the, the hotter the color, the more the activity. And of course, the entire brain is significantly improved, but the area of the brain that's most affected after depression improves is the frontal lobe of the brain. And of course, that begs the question, which come, comes first, the depression or the frontal lobe compromise? And Drevitz presents compelling evidence that frontal lobe problems are the cause and the effects are the depressive symptoms. So if we can enhance frontal lobe function, uh, we actually won't uh, experience uh, depression. Well, there are drugs that significantly impair the frontal lobe of the brain, uh, and uh, these are Ill illicit drugs, uh, and these illicit drugs often have INE on the end of it, but uh, uh, in illegal drugs, uh, whether it's the amphetamines uh, or, uh, or narcotics or cocaine, uh, all of these have a significant impairment of frontal lobe function that occurs. And unfortunately, as a result of that impairment, they become addictive uh, as well. Just about anything that suppresses the frontal lobe of the brain ends up having an addictive uh, characteristic to it, an addictive nature uh, to it. And that would be beyond our area of discussion here this morning. Uh, but there are reasons for that. There are certain things that actually, it, one of the reasons why is it bypasses the frontal lobe. And things that bypass the frontal lobe, it doesn't allow us to have a memory that is accurate. Uh, and what happens is we do remember the first time the way it felt, or the second or the third time, but we don't remember after that that you're not getting that effect from it. People still continue to utilize it to try to get that first time effect. They never get it, but because it's bypassing the frontal lobe, it doesn't log into their memory. And so uh, they continue to go back to it, and of course they continue to go back to a greater and greater suppression of the frontal lobe as time goes on. Uh, there are some prescription drugs that also have a role to play in impairing the frontal lobe of the brain. Xanax, Valium, Ativan, uh, Clonopin, uh, the narcotics, Lortabs, <coughs> excuse me, these commonly used drugs that are uh, are really, unfortunately, a way that many physicians make their money. Uh, you go to any pain doctor uh, and they dispense these rather readily. It's a pretty quick way to make money. Uh, you only have to see the patient two or three minutes and as long as you write them the prescription, the patient's happy, you get your money uh, and uh, the frontal lobe is suppressed and, uh, and the individual continues to go back uh, for your services in order to get those uh, prescriptions. And uh, it, you know, some of these medications in certain instances may indeed need to be utilized in short-term fashions. 
but uh, the long-term use of these medicines uh, certainly is problematic. And, uh, and also, it's uh, important to weigh the benefits versus the risks of utilizing these uh, medicines. And often, the risks outweigh the benefits when we look at it from the long term. Then there are legal drugs that damage. Alcohol affects the frontal lobe of the brain first before it affects any other portion of the brain. Uh, this is why individuals, even in the Major League Baseball, have described while they had had a couple of drinks, they were still able to hit the curveball out of the baseball park. Their coordination was fine. If you're driving at the legal limit of alcohol intoxication, your coordination is fine. Why is it then that you're 10 times as likely to get into an automobile accident? It has to do with the judgment. And the frontal lobe is compromised, so you end up doing things that you wouldn't otherwise do with that automobile. And uh, that's what happened to Prince's Dye's driver. No one recognized he was drunk. He was walking straight lines. He was conversing normally. But he had attempted to negotiate a turn in a tunnel at a speed that was impossible to negotiate, even under the best of coordinated circumstances. And he lost his life, and others lost their life as well. The best race car driver in the world would not have been able to successfully negotiate that turn at that speed, and simply do the frontal lobe compromise. Now, once alcohol comes into the, uh, to the brain, uh, the next day after, you know, 24 hours after usage, um, you can drive an automobile safely again. Does it require a uh, critical abstract thinking to drive an automobile successfully? No. Uh, if it did, then 16-year-olds would not be allowed to drive. Uh, and neither would 18-year-olds or 22-year-olds. Uh, and so uh, uh, it's not real critical abstract thinking. But as far as critical abstract thinking is concerned, where you're having to do disciplined thinking and multiple tasks, uh, uh, frontal lobe tasks, it takes, a, it takes two weeks for the brain to fully recover once alcohol is on board. And it's one of the reasons, two weeks, yeah, 14 days, and it's one of the reasons why alcohol is best and not consumed uh, at all. Nicotine has a more subtle effect on the frontal lobe of the brain. It also impairs it. And a lot of people are not aware that caffeine has an effect on the frontal lobe of the brain that is not good. Uh, caffeine blocks the adenosine receptors in the frontal lobe of the brain. And uh, adenosine is there for accurate uh, type of, uh, of thinking. It also helps to uh, be a break on human behavior. Uh, so that things that are not appropriate for you to do or say that you actually don't do or say. Uh, and uh, uh, caffeine, for instance, has been shown to have a significant effect in making gossip more likely. Now, uh, the definition of gossip that was used in this study is sharing private information with someone who's not part of the problem or part of the solution to the problem. And if you stick to that definition, sharing private information with someone who's not part of the problem or part of the solution to the problem, it turns out those who are randomized to consume caffeine actually significantly uh, gossiped more than those without caffeine on board. And in fact, Ellen White, in her wisdom that the Lord gave her, mentioned this. When these tea and coffee users meet together for social entertainment, the effects of their pernicious habit are manifest. All partake freely of their favorite beverages. And as the stimulating influence is felt, what happens? Their tongues are loosened. 
uh, showing how that break on human behavior is no longer there. And they begin the wicked work of talking against others. Their words are not few or well chosen. Uh, and so uh, one of the reasons why caffeine uh, really should be avoided. In fact, uh, uh, there was a study done recently on caffeine. I don't have it included uh, in this talk, uh, but if you want to, uh, if you're interested in it, I could um, show it to you afterwards or maybe after the second session. Uh, but uh, there's a study that shows that when, when you are a habitual caffeine user, your energy level and your brain function in the morning is no better than someone who does not consume any caffeine beverages in the morning. And a lot of people consume it because they think they need to, quote, wake up, they think they need to get more alert, and they think they really can't have a very alert brain without it. But what happens is there's a down regulation of an enzyme. Caffeine also does something else. It uh, blocks the effect of acetylcholinesterase. So it makes too much acetylcholine available. That's why people feel stimulated under the influence of caffeine. But once you consume it habitually, you downregulate your production of that to the exact degree that caffeine increases it. So that in reality, you are just returning yourself to neutral as if you were never a caffeine user for a while. But then unfortunately, there's a dip off. And so uh, you are, um, you're actually, your brain is functioning far less uh, capable uh, throughout the entire day's time because of these peaks and valleys, but even with the peak, you don't get above what a person would be who did not consume caffeine, uh, even though it's early in the morning and their quotes tired as well. And so with that in mind, there's really no reason to consume it, you know, whatsoever. Uh, and, uh, and particularly when you realize how addictive it is, when you're on uh, the equivalent of two cups of coffee a day and you quit it abruptly, you're gonna have severe headaches, very likely. You're gonna feel like the walking dead. Uh, why get yourself on something that is going to be uh, that addictive? Peter says, wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Be what? Sober. That Greek word sober means to be abstinent. He says, gird up the loins of your mind. Let's make our brains as sharp as they can be. Be abstinent. In other words, abstinent from anything that's going to adversely affect our brains. And hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Well, what does the frontal lobe desire for optimal function? Carbohydrates are used almost exclusively by the brain for optimal function. And carbohydrates are found in which food groups? Fruits, grains, nuts, and vegetables. The uh, groups mentioned there on the screen, Ellen White says, after quoting Norse four food groups, says they impart a strength, a power of endurance, and what else? A vigor of intellect that are not afforded by a more complex and stimulating diet. Uh, one of the reasons why Weimar, even in its educational program, not just for those with diseased bodies that come here with the New Start program, but the student bodies themselves. Uh, the students and the teachers are um, partaking in a diet uh, that is plant-based to have that strength, power of endurance, and vigor of intellect. One of the reasons why these plants do so well is uh, their antioxidant load. Antioxidants are shown to enhance normal immunity and restore a deficient immune system for the fight against cancer and aging. They've also been shown to be helpful 
when you have cancer, for years people were thinking that they don't want to be on antioxidants if they have cancer because it might prevent their cancer cells from being destroyed. That's not true. Antioxidants actually help even if you have cancer. But one of the advantages of living in the end times, particularly there's going to come a point in time uh, when we cannot buy or sell. Uh, and uh, during those times, uh, we're told that people who grow their own food uh, will live like kings and queens. Uh, and uh, this study, University of California at Berkeley, shows the power of whole plant foods exceeds that of their component parts. One cup of cooked kale has 50 milligrams of vitamin C and 13 units of vitamin E. The antioxidant potential of one cup of kale is equal to 800 milligrams of vitamin C and 1,100 units of vitamin E. Uh, those are huge amounts of antioxidant vitamins that you can just get in one cup of kale. Uh, one of my favorite greens, particularly the way Erica uh, makes it. The University of California Berkeley went on to uh, list the top 10 antioxidant, hmm, I, uh, there were vegetables and fruits. I guess we can do the fruits first. I have a feeling that somehow I didn't copy over the vegetable group because normally I mention that first. But uh, the top 10 antioxidant fruits as far as their whole plant ability is, are concerned uh, based on equal weight proportions. 10 was tomato. They lumped tomato as a fruit. 9 apple, 8 banana, 7 white grapes, six grapefruit, five kiwi. Anyone want to guess what's in the top four? And All right, number four is red grapes. Red grapes have the bioflavonoids in them, uh, very potent antioxidants. These are some of the things that confound some of the wine studies. Uh, because wine does have the bioflavonoids, particularly if they're, if they're grown healthfully, uh, et cetera. Uh, but they also has the alcohol, which is uh, going to have an adverse effect. And of course, uh, you don't have to worry about the adverse effect if you're just eating the red grapes. Three orange. Anyone want to guess what's in the top two as far as fruits? Uh, someone said blueberries. Any other guesses? Plum. Very humble fruit, but uh, potent in its antioxidant potential. And number one, strawberries. Now, I should mention for the blueberry uh, answerers, they did not test blueberries in this study. Uh, it probably would have come out close to being the top, if not uh, the top at that uh, time. Yes? What about the goji berry? Yes, uh, well, they didn't test uh, goji as well. But uh, there's something also that I'd like to mention in regards to these fruits and vegetables. Uh, if they are grown organically, do you think they're going to have less antioxidants or more antioxidants? More antioxidants, significantly more. 50% uh, more, sometimes 70% uh, more, as little as 19% more. And it turns out the antioxidants in these fruits and vegetables are actually substances that help the fruits and vegetables resist disease themselves. So in other words, if you want to resist some of the bugs that are out there, you have to have more antioxidants. If you want to resist uh, some of the 
uh, uh, worms and other things that are going to cause deteriorate the fruit, you have to have more antioxidants. And so as a result of living in an environment where they have to fight their own infections, uh, they actually uh, develop more antioxidants in the process. Where if we fight all of them for them with the pesticides and the herbicides and all that, they actually make less antioxidants over time because they, quote, don't need them. And of course, those antioxidants are what help us as well. And of course, that's going to be one of the advantages of living in the end time, particularly even after you have to move out to the mountains. Uh, because there are going to be fruits. We, uh, we live up the hill uh, from here, and uh, we have hiking, a number of hiking trails that cross our, our property. Uh, and uh, when we go on those hiking trails, we'll see a lot of wild berries, even blackberries, et cetera. Do you think those blackberries are high in antioxidants? Absolutely. There's no one spraying pesticides or herbicides out there whatsoever and as a result, uh, loaded with antioxidants. And so the Lord has a plan even for those who can't buy food uh, in the end time that will still keep their brains uh, intact and still uh, help them health-wise. Top 10 antioxidant vegetables, corn is number 10, nine onion, eight red bell pepper, seven beets, six broccoli, five alfalfa sprouts, four Brussels sprouts. Brussels sprouts, by the way, are loaded with vitamin C as well. Anyone want to guess what's in the top three? Broccoli. All right, broccoli's already mentioned, number six. Spinach is number three. Spinach is high in omega-3, has a lot of healthful characteristics. And then you did guess uh, right, kale is number two. And the number one antioxidant vegetable? Garlic, that's right. Uh, and uh, garlic actually is, uh, can function even as an antibiotic. It's so potent. It does actually get rid of bacteria, viruses uh, as well. And uh, uh, again, the advantages of those fruits and vegetables. Then there are foods that are high in tryptophan that help us make serotonin that help the frontal lobe of the brain. When I was in medical school, I was told whole milk was a good source of tryptophan, but there, there are much better sources. Peas, black-eyed peas, black walnuts, almonds, sesame seeds, gluten, which comes from wheat, uh, pumpkin seeds, and don't get uh, confused by roasted. They have almost as much. I think it's 572 if they're not roasted. Uh, the roasted came out a little bit higher. And tofu, also very high in uh, tryptophan. Uh, and uh, uh, the sesame seed aspect tends to have a very nice ratio, as does the almonds as well. And, and in some instances, the studies show they'll make more serotonin from the sesame seeds and almonds. Sugar, however, although it's a carbohydrate, uh, actually when we eat refined sugar, our blood sugars go way up. We th our pancreas thinks we've eaten a large amount of fruits, grains, nuts, and vegetables. This might be a good time to tell people to turn off their cell phones. Um, and uh, as a result, we end up, within a half hour after eating the sugary substance, a low blood sugar, hypoglycemia. And uh, one of the reasons why large amounts of sugar in the diet have been demonstrated to impair frontal lobe functions in school-aged children, we now it's all, know it's also true in adults, makes about a grade-letter difference. 
uh, in performance, particularly if it has to do with frontal lobe subjects. Arachidonic acid decreases the ability of the frontal lobe of the brain. It decreases the synthesis and storage of acetylcholine, an important neurotransmitter, and it's present primarily in flesh foods, one of the reasons why meat does not come out on top as far as frontal lobe function. In fact, Ellen White makes it very plain. She says eating much flesh will diminish intellectual activity. Students would accomplish much more in their studies if they what? Never tasted meat. When the animal part of the human nature is strengthened by meat eating, the intellectual power diminishes proportionately. Actually, Pavlov studied this out and showed the proportionate effect. When you eat a large steak meal, those large molecules don't cross the blood-brain barrier, but they do get to the pituitary gland. There's a stimulation that occurs in the lower brain. That circulation comes from the upper brain. And you'll see on a PET scan, the lower brain light up and the upper brain go down uh, in, uh, in circulation simply because of the siphoning effect that occurs there. And so that proportionate nature uh, actually scientifically has been shown. Then there are some small chemicals that do cross the blood-brain barrier and actually confuse the brain. This is why you can think things happen that didn't happen. You can think you learned something that you didn't learn, et cetera, simply due to tyramine. Uh, tyramine uh, is a false neurotransmitter, and it's found abundantly in cheese, wines, and rich foods. And one of the reasons why cheese, particularly the hardened cheeses, do not come out on top as far as frontal lobe ability or function is concerned. Ellen White says this, the sin of intemperate eating, eating too frequently, too much, and of rich, unwholesome food, destroys the healthy action of the digestive organs, affects the brain, and perverts the judgment, preventing rational, calm, healthy thinking and acting. What area of the brain is she talking about here? The frontal lobe, the rational, calm, healthy thinking and acting. And then the next statement, she says, is pretty amazing. She says, and this is a fruitful source of what? Church trials. So the argument in the church board meeting may not be due to what you think it's due to. It may be due to what the people ate before they got to the board meeting. And no matter how much the subject is explained on the area of principle, you're not going to have... Uh, you're not going to have unity on the subject simply because you don't have the frontal lobe ability of those that are there uh, to really understand the concept and be able to think in the long-term perspective in regards to what their decisions are going to lead to uh, on the here and now. Then another profound statement, she says, few understand how much their habits of diet have to do with their health. And you know, there's even a disconnect today about that. If you understand how much their habits of diet have to do with their characters, if you understand how much their habits of diet have to do with their usefulness in this world, and finally, if you understand how much their habits of diet have to do with their eternal destiny, one of the reasons why the Lord Jesus was very interested in what we were eating and gave us instruction not only in the Bible, but even more detailed instruction in the spirit of prophecy in regards to nutrition because of its effect. It's a really powerful effect that it can play on your character, your usefulness, and your eternal destiny. Uh, then uh, one other uh, statement in regards to diet. She says, let the diet reform be what? Progressive. In other words, there's areas um, that we might learn about later that we want to improve. And let's be progressive in our improvement of these things. She says, let the people be taught 
This was what her definition of progressive was. Let the people be taught how to prepare food without the use of what? Milk or butter. Tell them that the time will soon come when there will be no safety in using eggs, milk, cream, or butter because disease in animals is increasing in proportion to the increase of wickedness among men. So as the wickedness among men increases, what else is going to increase? Disease in animals, and these foods actually are going to become unsafe. She says God will give his people tact, ability and tact to prepare wholesome food without these things. Has that prophecy come true, that last statement? Yes, it can be very wholesome food, can actually be very tasty, and can also be very healthy. But here's her very next statement right after this. She says, let our people discard all unwholesome recipes. Should you just discard the few of the worst ones? She says, discard all unwholesome recipes. Let them learn how to live healthfully, teaching to what? Others what they have learned. And then this very interesting statement. She's talking about teaching them how to cook, how to prepare wholesome recipes, get rid of their unwholesome recipes. And here's what she says. Let them impart this knowledge as they would what? Bible instruction. Now, she was very much for the imparting of Bible instruction. But she says there's something that's equivalent as far as its importance here. She says, by precept and example, make it plain that the food which God gave Adam in his sinless state is the best for man's use as he seeks to regain that sinless state. And so uh, we have pointed out the example as far as nutrition for the end time and uh, what the Lord is uh, preparing us for as important as Bible instruction. Well, in the area of the frontal lobe of the brain, I don't think we can ignore um, this area. It's not what we ingest per se, but it can have a powerful adverse effect on the frontal lobe of the brain. This comes from a hypnosis textbook that promotes it um, as a way, quotes, to help certain conditions. And in this textbook, hypnosis, uh, this is a quote, hypnosis attempts to cancel out frontal lobe functions and bring people into a trance in which they are highly suggestible. And so you have to cancel out frontal lobe functions in order for hypnosis to be effective. It tells you how you can hypnotize. It tells you difficult ways, and it also tells you an easy way. It says it's most easily accomplished by training the eyes to focus in on one object, the best object being a little flickering light. It's important that the hypnotist be in control of the flicker, not you. And so you're just focusing, you're, you're training your eyes to focus in on one object, and there's an irregular flicker that occurs. What will happen then? The person will record information and duties without interpretation or without frontal lobe activity. In other words, they know, they're not long analyzing whether it's appropriate or not appropriate, et cetera. Uh, it's just totally bypassing the frontal lobe so that the subset uh, doesn't, uh, so you're not able to really subset. And of course, that's why it can have a powerful adverse effect on human behavior. What a lot of people uh, don't realize is they could have a hypnotic instrument in their own home. What trains the eyes to focus in on one object and flickers? Actually, what produces the flicker is the scene of reference change. Anyone want to guess how often the scene of reference changes in entertainment television? Just turn on any entertainment program and count the scene of reference changes that occur in a five-minute period. It changes approximately every three seconds. 
might be six seconds here, it might be two seconds there, et cetera. But every three seconds you see a scene of reference change and that produces the flicker. It makes your eyes want to focus in on the object too. You don't know when the next scene of reference change is going to be and so you don't divert your eyes from the uh, area. There have been a lot of studies on po those that watch TV that uh, as they're watching TV their peripheral vision just totally shrinks down. They can't even see things that are happening uh, in, in broad daylight. Uh, for those that, that didn't have that frontal lobe compromise. And uh, there's 17 areas that the frontal lobe goes down. There have been over 3,000 studies done, the, done on the effects of entertainment television in the mind or entertainment movies. Over 300 books have been written on the subject. There's an increase in daydreaming that occurs. That's not healthy, by the way. The more daydreaming you do, the greater your risk of Alzheimer's disease as you age. Um, and it's the opposite of creative ingenuity. The more daydreaming you do, the less creative you are. Uh, a lot of people think, no, daydreaming is associated with creativity. Not true. Uh, creativity is inversely associated with daydreaming. Uh, and so it's going to decrease your creative ingenuity, decrease interest in reading, decrease interest in learning, reduces discernment, trains in non-reaction, uh, particularly when you need to react. Uh, it kind of uh, uh, trains in that uh, non-reaction, although it does increase ag aggressiveness. Uh, so in other words, when you shouldn't react, you tend to react. <laughs> uh, and uh, uh, there have been a number of studies on that. In fact, the American Medical Association, I'd like to commend them for the stance that they've made in regards to entertainment television. Uh, the AMA has come out pretty strong uh, against the use of entertainment television for children, for adults, et cetera. Uh, they've printed a number of studies where it shows how much it increases aggressiveness, what its toll is in regards to uh, murders, rapes, all sorts of things. In fact, uh, AMA estimates over half of murders and half of rapes that occur in this country would never have occurred had it not been for entertainment television and movies. And they present powerful evidence by Dr. Brandon Centerwall and other epidemiologists that have presented some very good data on this subject, particularly looking at areas of the country that began to watch entertainment television after they had none. Uh, they went to rural Canada when satellite TV came in. In rural Canada, you couldn't get entertainment television. They went to South Africa. South Africa had no TV till the 1970s due to political reasons. And then they looked at what happened after that. And then, they, of course, they looked at other areas as well. It reduces sensitivity to violence. And of course, it's addictive. Uh, it's very clear that those that regularly use entertainment television, when they quit utilizing it, they tend to get headaches. They tend to have insomnia. Uh, they tend to have irritability. A lot of the symptoms that occur from withdrawing from a drug. Uh, and, uh, you know, in fact, uh, you know, because California fortunately has decreased the amount of smokers uh, in the state, you know, we don't have much of a need for five-day plans to stop smoking as we used to a generation or two ago. But I can tell you what would bring out more people is if your church holds five-day plans to stop watching television. Uh, and uh, you would get a lot of interest uh, in, in uh, that and actually some media coverage as well. It takes away precious time for family. Uh, even if it just did this, it would be bad enough. But it does take away precious time for family, for achievement, and for spiritual pursuits as well. One of the great time robbers. This is a very interesting study done earlier this year uh, in uh, Australia. Compared with adults who watch less than two hours of TV a day, those who watched more than four hours 
had a 46% higher risk of death from all causes as an 80% higher risk of cardiovascular death during a six-year study period. Now, this was very interesting. This is associated with physical health, actually. Each hour spent in front of the TV per day raised a person's risk of death from cardiovascular disease by 18% and the risk of cancer by 9%. So cancer goes up as well. What we're finding out, uh, and we're starting to develop evidence for this, is what impairs the frontal lobe of the brain, not only just impairs the frontal lobe of the brain, but because it's a control center for the entire brain and really the entire body, that what impairs that also makes health uh, decline significantly. Now, when the study first came out, people were saying, well, this might be due to sitting. But the pattern held even after the researchers took into account the education level, overall health of the participants, their age, whether they smoke, their cholesterol levels, and blood pressure, and even their exercise. What's more, exercise doesn't necessarily make up for long sessions in front of the tube. Dustin and his colleagues figured into their analysis how much the study participants exercise when they compared groups of adults who exercised the same amount but watched varying amounts of TV. Those who watched more TV were still at a higher risk of dying during the study. So it's not simply due to lack of exercise in front of the tube. There's something more powerful going on. Interestingly, reading or doing homework doesn't seem to be associated with risk factors uh, such as increased cancer or heart disease deaths says Peter uh, uh, Katz-Marzik, an exercise scientist at Pennington Biomedical Research in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, who was not involved in the study, but a study of the health effects of sitting time. We're not sure if it's the sedentary behavior itself or something inherent about or associated with television viewing. Uh, and of course, the, the study is indicating that it is that TV viewing. So keep that in mind when it comes to things that suppress the frontal lobe of the brain. If those things were studied out, we would see how it does actually have an increased risk of a number of physical uh, issues. And I think this is one of the reasons why Moses, for instance, you know, after the age of 80, uh, he's going up and down that mountain repeatedly. You know, if you read Deuteronomy 9 and 10, there's four times he went up and down it in a pretty short period of time. He's going up the mountain, down the mountain. He's over 80 years old, well over 80 years old, and it's never recorded that he got short of breath. It's never recorded that he, you know, had significant trouble making it. He didn't need to have all these assistants to help him up there. Often he was alone uh, and uh, physically fit, but yet not doing things that suppress the frontal lobe of the brain was, a, was a, uh, I think, a, a major part of that. Uh, emotional reasoning is an area uh, of cognitive distortion, one of the areas of cognitive distortion that is paramount in our society today. Ecclesiastes says, I said in mine heart, this is Solomon telling his story, go to now, I will approve thee with mirth, therefore enjoy pleasure. In other words, he said, whatever is going to lift my emotions for the moment, I'm going to try. And if someone else has their emotions lifted by it and I see they're smiling afterwards, then I'm going to give it a try because I want to experience pleasure. Whatsoever mine eyes desired, I kept not from them. I withheld not my heart from any joy. Unfortunately, it was following in the paths of Ephraim, if you remember, the path of self-indulgence. Uh, one of those sins that allows you, that really disallows you from being part of the 144,000. And then he says where it led him. Therefore, I hated life, for all is vanity and vexation of spirit. Therefore, I went about to cause my heart 
to despair. And uh, these things, although they can be pleasurable uh, in suppressing the frontal lobe of the brain, they end up leading to the deepest forms of depression. And this is why you have people uh, that the world envies, but then after they see their whole life, they don't envy in them anymore. You know, uh, uh, Michael Jackson used to be the envy of, every, of almost every music uh, producer uh, in the world. Michael Jackson is not envied anymore. Not just because he's dead, but people realize, wow, this guy had... He, he couldn't get any rest, he had all this anxiety, he, had, uh, he was troubled uh, with all sorts of, of mental health issues, uh, you know, bizarre stuff. Uh, you, know, you don't find the envy out there of Michael Jackson once people realize the whole picture uh, that was there despite the fact that he was one of the few billionaire musicians, maybe the only billionaire musician uh, that's been out there. Tiger Woods, every sports person in the world envied Tiger Woods. He was the richest sports person in the world. And he's not near as envied uh, anymore once people realize what was part of that life, that self-indulgent uh, lifestyle that ended up uh, causing significant depression and those type of things. And so we really need to have the frontal lobe in perspective when we do this. And, uh, you know, just last week at the general con is it last week? No, I guess it would be two weeks ago. Time flies. The general conference session, I was there, and we had a booth, and there was a man who came up to me uh, who was active in the church, and his son had uh, been through Mission College, uh, had been a Bible worker, had struggles in, his, in, in the church that he was assigned to with all the church issues, etc. And then he started telling me uh, the struggles of this, uh, of this boy, and uh, I got into the... Uh, issue of the false way of altering uh, the way you feel. And uh, I'll tell you in a little bit how this boy was doing it. But you need to understand when, you're, when we're altering the way we feel in a false way, in other words, not changing our thoughts into what's true thoughts, we can never get enough of what we don't need. Because what you don't need will never satisfy you. And this was the issue with Tiger Woods. Tiger Woods thought he could finally get enough and he wouldn't want anymore. And uh, uh, he uh, explained that and you, you can never get enough of what you don't need. These things that you don't need, uh, you know, with broccoli you can get enough uh, because uh, it is something you need. Uh, you need those nutrients, but, uh, you know, you don't have anyone with an addictive relationship to broccoli. Um, but, uh, uh, or even addictive relationship to a beautiful sunset or a beautiful walk in the park, etc. But the, the reason why I point this out, this has kind of become the, the, the sin of the day. Uh, this, this man just asked me, he says, you know, I just read a book put out by a good psychiatrist who's well known in the nation saying the more sex you have, the better it is for your health. And the more you're into this, et cetera. And he says he was quoting this study and that study. And I said, did he ever tell you how much is too much? He said, no. That wasn't in the book at all. I said, you know, even if it were healthy uh, across the board, the way he stated it, he was totally biased if he didn't tell you how much is too much. Because even water, good water is healthy for you, but did you know you can drink too much water? And it can be harmful for you? And I said, he's, uh, he's obviously showing a significant bias when he doesn't tell you about some of the adverse effects. Because there's a number of studies out there, particularly in regards to the illicit sexual activity that shows that it's harmful on a number of different fronts. 
that he didn't go into. This study, I don't think it was necessarily an ethical study. It was done by Zillman and Bryant, both experimental psychologists. They randomly selected 160 men and women. University of Wisconsin did the study. These were college men and women who had not been exposed to pornography, and they randomized half of them to be exposed for six weeks through magazines and videos. They found out, and by the way, their control group, I wouldn't call it control group, control group, they showed regular Hollywood movies and videos and regular magazines, which also would not have been the healthiest thing. But in comparison with those two things, those that were involved in the pornography, they were less interested and less attracted to their partner, more self-absorbed, less empathy for others around them. So what's happening? Frontal lobe is going down, began to live in a very self-centered world and actually began to shut down emotionally in just six weeks. Uh, Zillman and Brian have done a number of other studies. They've also compiled a lot of other studies, and here's what they say. The negative effects of pornography on the frontal lobe of the brain has been more consistently proven than the links between smoking and lung cancer. And what this man asked me is he said, is there any evidence that any of this is harmful, or are we just off the scientific edge when we talk about the bad effects of masturbation and pornography? And I said, no, there's plenty of scientific evidence. And I showed him this quote, and he was stunned. Never had seen anything like this and didn't realize uh, the harm that it was producing. James says, no one should say God tempts because God doesn't tempt anyone. Each one is tempted when he is dragged away and enticed by his own evil feelings. And that's why when we have these feelings, we need to elevate them to the level of our frontal lobe, analyze them. Are they based on things that are true and wholesome, or are they based on lower nature things that are not um, uh, true or what we should participate in uh, at that time. And the problem are, is that feelings can lie. This is why emotional reasoning is known as a cognitive distortion, even in the secular psychology world. Jonathan Martinson says it this way, feelings are much like waves. We can't stop them from coming, but we can choose which one to serve. And that's the frontal lobe of the brain that does that. That's the chooser in elevating it to that. Alvin Toffler, uh, a secular media expert says this, constant stimulation of the senses shuts down the analytical processes and ultimately shuts down the ability to face life rationally. This leads to escape techniques that involve withdrawal, apathy, and rejection of what? Disciplined thinking when faced with difficult duties and decisions. And what is it that shuts down this ability? It's the constant stimulation of the senses. So you have the music, you have the, the, the um, we'll talk about music in the next session, what can uh, impair the frontal lobe of the brain. You have the sensual images, anything there that stimulates it uh, in, a, in that sort of way is going to shut down your ability to even make um, uh, important or even unimportant decisions. Uh, so let's summarize. How do we take care of our frontal lobe? We must protect it from mechanical injury. Uh, that means wearing your seat belts. That means not participating in sports where there's a high likelihood of head injury. It's amazing to me um, how often the head is not protected. You know, there was even a study, you know, since we had the World Cup soccer, there was even a study showing how soccer impairs the frontal lobe of the brain. The more you play it, the more the impairment. Why is that? Is it just the playing of the sport? The rivalry, that may have something to do with it. It's the hitting the ball on the front of your head. Uh, and, you know, that ball is coming at a significant speed, and you're moving into it to do that. And you're actually producing micro hemorrhages there uh, in the brain. And so if you want to play soccer, um, get a helmet. Uh, and, uh, 
uh, and protect uh, that brain. Uh, supply it with good oxygen. Uh, we need to have good oxygen. That means deep breathing is important. Give it good nutrition. We talked about that. Get adequate sunlight. The vitamin D is important. The serotonin from the sun. Control the inputs what we're seeing and hearing that's going to impair the frontal lobe of the brain. There's a number of studies showing in the last few years, working with your hands, two hours a day, even if it's mundane labor, enhances frontal lobe function. Uh, an important aspect, one of the reasons why we at Weimar have that essential for faculty and students to work with their hands a couple hours a day. It's one of the things that I uh, enjoy as a doctor. You know, uh, many internal medicine doctors don't work with their hands. They're just in the thinking stage, and those people need to do woodworking. They need to do something like that. I fortunately have an internal medicine job where at least a couple hours a day I'm working uh, with my hands uh, on the patient. One of the benefits of surgery as well uh, in going into that, that field. Uh, working with your hands is important in frontal lobe function. Physical exercise is important. Uh, as well as exercising the frontal lobe and participating in even fun things that can enhance frontal lobe functions. One of the best ways of enhancing it is studying the Bible. Uh, Acts says uh, they were more noble than those in Thessalonica and that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. This was a frontal lobe exercise. Ellen White says, as a means of intellectual training, the Bible is more effective than any other book or all other books combined. She was for those other books, but she says there's something there that's going to enhance the frontal lobe of the brain. So I ask you in closing, do you want to be more intelligent? Do you want to be more analytical? Do you want to make better decisions? Do you want to have a greater capacity to empathize with others? Do you want to have better discernment? Do you want to have a greater ability to see into the future? Do you want to have a greater ability to overcome an addiction? That requires the frontal lobe. Do you want to have a greater power to follow your conscience? And finally, do you want to be more open to understanding and doing the will of God? If you answer yes to any of those, I would encourage you to look at your life habits. See what you can do to participate in a program that's going to enhance in a very balanced way the frontal lobe of your brain, the only area of the brain where the Lord communicates with us. Daniel did this. And Ellen White says, Dear youth, God calls upon you to do a work which through his grace you can do. Show a purity of taste, appetite, and habits that bears comparison with who? Daniel's. God will reward you with four things, she says. Calm nerves, a clear brain, unimpaired judgment, keen perceptions. The youth of today whose principles are firm and what else? Unwavering will be blessed with health of body, mind, and soul. By the way, John the Baptist was the same way. John the Baptist, the Lord Jesus said, was the greatest of all prophets. But yet he abstained uh, from things that were going to hurt his brain, from diet to whatever it was. In fact, that's one of the reasons he was out in the wilderness, uh, it was so that he wouldn't, uh, he didn't want to even see sin or see it written about because he was afraid it would decrease his abhorrence of it. And it would decrease his, his uh, he wouldn't be as sensitive. He would think that maybe it's uh, semi-okay, et cetera. And, uh, uh, and, of course, he was revered by Christ as being the greatest, someone who really abstained. Wisdom is better than rubies, the Bible says, and all the things that may be desired are not to be compared to it. And you compare money with frontal lobe function, choose frontal lobe function every time. And then we're told in the end, the deception will occur because of lack of frontal lobe. 
Why did so many go for Babylon? It says, by thy sorceries were all nations deceived. The word for sorceries is pharmakia, the drugging down of the frontal lobe, whether it's through activities or whether it's through drugs or other things, sets up the final crisis that goes against God. And my last text is Romans 12. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which Paul calls your what? Reasonable service. Some people call this extremism. Paul doesn't call it that. He says it's reasonable service uh, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye what? Transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Let's bow our heads. Father in heaven, we thank you for showing us a way in which we can make choices for you. Even our, even our everyday choices in regards to what we're going to eat, what we're going to do, uh, whether we're going to this entertainment scene or whether we're going to work with our hands, whether we're going to go to the Facebook site and do common chit-chat or whether we're going to study the deep things of the Word of God. Lord, we thank you that in your great love and mercy you have pointed out a better way, a way in which our lives can be fully enhanced, in which we can be more effective for you and actually be part of your people that do not taste death before Jesus comes. We thank you that your plan is for each one of us to change our life in accordance with your will. And may we make the choices, even though it may even impair some of our friendships that we have now, even though we might be ridiculed as John the Baptist and Daniel were in certain circumstances, may we make choices that will bring your love and smile towards us instead of the smile and fake love of the fallen people around us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.